0: Welcome to the Todd Z, Z-Cast, everybody. My name is Todd Zalkins, recorded live here in Long Beach, California, where we talk about a little bit of everything, a little bit of recovery, a little bit of this, that, and the other, some things relevant and highly irrelevant. We're here to share with you what's really going on. Good afternoon, and welcome, everybody, to the Z-Man Show. I'm your host, Todd Zalkins, and uh, I am, I'm super excited about the show that we've got going on today. And, uh, you know, it's a partially cool partially cool uh, Saturday afternoon. And I want to get to a couple of our sponsors first and and move on to our guest here in just a second. But uh, today's program is brought to you by Babel Horizons. Give them a call, please, at 833-NOT-ALONE if you or someone that you love is struggling. These guys are Gold Seal uh, accredited uh, treatment facility in South Orange County. And these guys do wonderful work, I know, because I know a lot of people who have been through there and have uh, turned their lives around. Again, 833, not alone, Balboa Horizons. Program is also brought to you by the Knoll Family Foundation. You guys go to the KnollFamilyFoundation.org and buy several Bradley's House t-shirts. I think, uh, I don't know what they cost, but everything everything that you guys order goes to our cause, which is for Bradley's House. It's gonna be the first treatment facility of its, of its kind. We are a full nonprofit facility. It's gonna be a six bed place down in South Orange County which treats musicians who are suffering from substance use disorder, who have little to no resources and no health insurance to get the quality care that uh, that they need. And if you order more than a dozen shirts, Kelly Knoll will come to your house and wash one of your cars. If you order more than 30 shirts, she'll even paint part of your house. So go to the KnollFamilyFoundation.org and order a bunch of Bradley's house stuff. We've got hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and all that good stuff. Also this next week, On Wednesday evening, we have a live streaming event for the Knoll Family Foundation and Jacob Knoll and Casey Sullivan from the band Burritos will be streaming live on Facebook on both Sublime's Facebook page and the Knoll Family Foundation page. They'll be playing a whole bunch of hits from back in the day on acoustic and uh, we're going to try to raise some more money here for Bradley's House. It's going to be a lot of fun, 6.30 to 7.30 this next Wednesday. Program is also brought to you by As High As I Am. As High As I Am is the finest surf brand, surfwear company, and board shop located in Morro Bay, California. Go see my friend Mike Lopaka-Jones. And if you tell him that, you're, that, that your Uncle Z-Man sent you, he will give you at least 2.4% to 8.5% off of miscellaneous stuff. Maybe even some miscellaneous crap. Please go see As High As I Am for the best surfwear in all of Central California. And if you get him on a good day, he might even take you out for a surf. This guy is a legitimate big wave rider, one of my heroes, and a hell of a good dude. As High As I Am, Morro Bay, California. Okay, guys, I'd like for you to stay up to date with all of our upcoming events and film screenings. Please sign up at at, uh, thelongwaybackfilm.com. We have a lot of uh, screenings uh, happening around Southern California and other states as well. Again, thelongwaybackfilm.com. You can follow me on Instagram at toddzalkins and on Twitter at longwaybackfilm. Don't don't use the. It's just at longwaybackfilm. If you guys have any questions, need some resources for help, please feel free to contact us at info at Again, info at toddzalkins.com. We always want to be there to try and help people who need who need a bunch of help or whatever the heck it, is, it uh, is that they need. We have families contacting us, people who are suffering, and um, we appreciate the people who reached out last week, and I believe two people got into a really good level of care um, uh, at some point last week. So thank you guys for reaching out to us. Also, the first three people who share this broadcast will get a free film poster and DVD for the Long Way Back film. And the poster is actually signed by Jim Papa Knoll and Jacob Knoll. So the first three people who share the broadcast Just, uh, I'll know who you are, and I will get your address uh, by way of private message, and I will gladly ship those things out to you, priority mail, and I'm going to pay for it, darn it. Okay, now with that being said, I've been looking forward to having this gentleman on the program for quite a while now. And Ryan Hampton, he's at the center of America's rising recovery movement, becoming the de facto thought leader of the national conversation on addiction. He's a former White House staffer, and Ryan has worked with multiple nonprofits and political campaigns. He was part of a team that released the first ever U.S. Surgeon General's General's report on addiction in 2016 and was singled out by Forbes as a top social media entrepreneur in the recovery movement, and he's an acting ambassador with Facebook. Ryan is the author of American Fix, where he discusses his own struggles with addiction, outlining the challenges that the recovery movement currently faces and he offers a plan of action towards making America's addiction crisis a thing of the past. He has appeared on virtually every major news source in America to address the core issues relating to the opioid crisis and substance use disorder. Ryan Hampton, welcome to the show. Hey, Dodd, I'm glad we could do this. Good to be here. Good to see you, man. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking I'm the time. Try, trying to share this on my Facebook real quick. How's that working? We can take a sec. No, I think it's working fine. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good. You have been all over the place.
1: I have. It's been a pretty crazy week for me. You were just at the State of the Union yep. address. Yep. How was that? Uh, crazy. What was <laughs> it? Yeah, it was crazy. Did you want to
0: share some of the general insanity?
1: I, I, I you know, um, I, I didn't find out I was going until late last week, um, I had worked with my member of Congress and, and, and a bunch of the, the House Republicans and Democrats last year on the Support Act, H.R. 6, uh, specifically the um, sober living provision that we had gotten in there, and um, received this last minute invite, and it just happened to be I was going to be in Washington, D.C. at the same time um, for some other business, and uh, went, and, and, and I had nothing, n- no way to expect uh, what was going to happen. but. Had a great opportunity to meet with the speaker, um, you know, uh, talked about kind of the some of the initiatives that we're looking forward to this year and um, some of the House Democrats and some cabinet members and also some House Republicans. Um, I, I was a little disappointed and I think I, I, I aired that frustration on Facebook very well this week that there was no real mention of, of, of uh the opioid crisis, in terms of public health solution, but it,
0: it, it went away for a week or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, I mean, I, I to be honest, I mean, the administration's done done some good stuff. They've done some good work. Um, you know, uh, I, I I think it's it's uh, it's dangerous though for people to think that hey, we we fixed this or or we've done enough because we have not done anywhere near enough. We've only been scratching the surface. Um, yes, we've gotten a lot of money, uh, a couple billion dollars in the last year. But we also know we need uh, upwards of twenty billion dollars per year to get anywhere close to ending it.
0: If you if you had to list in a, in a short order, mm-hmm. maybe one, two, and three of the biggest priority items that you see mm-hmm. as far as making headway here, mm-hmm. give me your bullet point list, or maybe and maybe expand briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: harm reduction, treatment, and recovery.
0: Okay, a lot of people who are tuning in have no clue as to what harm reduction is. Can, mm-hmm. you, can you share with our listeners and viewers what harm reduction is all about?
1: I mean, I'll give you my, my, my personal view on it. Please. Um and, and, and it's actually a hot topic this week. So uh, just to tell you a little bit about my story, um, you know, I was a heroin user, uh, you know, IV user for, for almost a decade. Um, and I had contracted hep C as a result of being an IV user. Um, you know, early on in my addiction, all the way up till, till pretty much the fifth or sixth year, I had no idea what treatment was, <laughs> believe it or not, I had never heard of treatment. I had seen it kind of on television as like this elusive thing out there, but didn't really know where to go or how to find treatment or even what it was about. Um, and I was on the streets, um, so I was using dirty needles. I was using, you know, I, I had multiple, uh, you know, overdoses and whatnot, um, as a result of, of, of uh, you know, my drugs being cut with something or whatnot. <clears throat> and uh, harm reduction is really uh, limiting basically someone's harm while they're using, uh, pretty much. It, it, for me, it's like the the new thing that's happening that I'm just completely fascinated with are these uh, overdose prevention sites, um, which is you know some people call them a safe consumption site. Um, what it is is it's a, it's a brick and mortar building where people can go to. Uh, they can test their drugs to make sure there's no fentanyl in them. Um, they have. Narcan on hand. Let me uh, stop you get, really quick. So yeah. hold
0: on. So, so I, I've got some heroin and I roll in there. You guys test it. Hey, there's no fentanyl good. Give it back to me. I can go use. No,
1: it's not that easy. Oh, okay. Um, it, 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 they, they, it's, a, it's a clean place. It's a clinical setting where people can go and use safely. People who are already going to be using much like I was when I was out on the streets. Um, there have been over 4,000 documented cases of uh, people who have used, that have been studied, uh, people who have used safe consumption sites, overdose prevention sites worldwide, Mm -hmm. and not one reported overdose or death. Um, So it really is a safe place to reduce harm, which is what harm reduction is. Uh, In addition to that, though, there's peer recovery support specialists who are on hand. There are clinicians that are on hand uh, so that people can be pointed in the right direction Uh, for help when they're ready for help. Because, you know, I I hear a lot of people out there who are saying, hey, you know, you can't help someone who's struggling until they actually want help until they're ready to say yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the the, the caveat there is we're not gonna be able to help people if they're dead, right? So it's like, how do we keep people alive, keep them safe, uh, up to a point until they are ready to ask for help, or they're led, to help. And, can I ask a quick
0: question about mm-hmm. that? So at one of these sites, for instance, if someone goes and, and they can use safely, mm-hmm. is he or she exposed to some, hey, look, there's also help if you need it. Absolutely. Can you, can 100%. You, yes. Uh, so okay. so
1: that that is a that is a big component of, of safe consumption sites, of overdose prevention sites. They okay. prevent overdose, but they also become, in most cases, someone's first inoculation, someone's first introduction to recovery, right? And, and, and maybe that first, second, third, fourth, maybe even the 10th time they come. Uh, they don't want it. But maybe the 11th time they do. And by that time, there's been some trust. And as you know, there's a lot of trust that, that is lost when we're out there on the streets, especially when you're dealing sometimes with with some particular treatment centers who just, you know, they're, they're grabbing people left and right. Uh, there's some trust between uh, the clinician, the peer support specialist, and the user. We know, um, based on data, that people who Go to a safe consumption site or an overdose prevention site. Uh, they're thirty-seven percent more likely to access treatment, to ask for help, to get That's into incredible. recovery. Yes, I, I did not. I was not aware of that statistic. Yes, um, and and so it's it's, it's sadly, um, you know, uh, uh, Pennsylvania was going to have one of the first ones. Uh, U.S. Justice Department has come in and said they're, you know, putting their full weight and force to, to stop this when we actually know this is the real public health approach. I mean, it is radical it's very progressive, but we're in the midst of kind of this this massive public health crisis where all options should be on the table. Yeah. Um, that kind of like all that, that, that old thinking and dogma around what recovery is or what recovery should be. I mean, who cares at this point? We need yeah. to keep people alive. Yeah. We need to get them into recovery. We need to get them into treatment. We need to get them into some sort of qualified support. Um, and there, there is zero ways to, to zero. There, there, there's just you can't argue <laughs> with this. I mean, the only the only argument that's really valid out there is really kind of like this moral boogeyman argument <laughs> um, that that doesn't that 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 that's not based in science or fact.
0: It's like it's like the, the elephants in the room. We're mm-hmm. we're finally starting to talk about it, and and I have a great deal of respect for the work that you're doing, and, and really out loud, it mm-hmm. is your message. You, you are out there. And you were, you were trying to get it done. And right. this, is, this to me, is a good segue into the following, which is, you know, as a crisis interventionist, I work with a lot of families all over the country, okay? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that absolutely, you know, it, it does baffle me, but my heart sinks when it's like, okay, the funding for the family is very limited, mm-hmm. if any. Mm-hmm. And there is a desire, we believe, for this person to want to make some changes. And, of course, they're absent any decent PPO insurance plan. Mm-hmm. So, what is your take on the absenteeism of a really vast amount of care for people who want to make changes? Okay, and it, we seem to be falling short there.
1: Well, you're getting into a whole another discussion there. So, I mean, that, that is that for a different program. Well, I mean, maybe? we could we could we could take we could take we could quite take some some time on that one. But I I, I to to kind of uh, briefly, um, without taking up the next six hours on this discussion. Okay, right. I mean, that's a real. Uh, a challenge just because of the way our healthcare system is set up right now, um, and insurance, and 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 I was talking. About, I actually talked about this on on Tuesday uh, when I was in DC at the State of the Union. One of the members of Congress had a question about like how complicit in nature are the insurance companies? Well, 100, percent they're right up there uh, as much as at fault as some of these other players in the opioid crisis, addiction crisis. Uh, you know, parity became law of the land in 2008, and what parity means is that. Uh, mental health and addiction uh, you know, need to be covered by insurance companies on par with other chronic health diseases. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of insurance companies are not, uh, they really don't care that it's on the books. And the federal government really hasn't been enforcing it. State governments uh, have not been enforcing it. So as a result of that, uh, insurance payers have not been reimbursing at, at good rates for, for treatment and recovery services. Um, there's a lack of Medicaid funding for people uh, who have uh, addiction issues. You know, I, I, I don't think it's any surprise to any of your any of your listeners or any of your viewers. Uh, and this certainly was my story: is, is when we're when we're ready to get help, <laughs> for the most part, uh, and we're coming off the street. A lot of us don't have insurance or PPO or money or a job. I mean, we'll be lucky if we've got two socks on our feet. You know, by that point. Um, so how do we close that gap, right? How do, we, how do we make sure that we've got services for families? And there is a, a treatment gap in this country, which means the amount of people who will never be able to access treatment, or who currently cannot access treatment, whether it be through uh, insurance barriers, financial barriers, environmental, personal, uh, whatever that may be, that number is about 90%, which means 9 out of 10 people in this country who need help, who need treatment, will not get it. So while there's this huge debate going on about uh, reforming the treatment system, which I am very much, I think as is, is a lot of people know, in the midst of and very loud and vocal on, um, we can't let that debate uh, overshadow the fact that 90 percent of people won't won't get treatment. So how do we how do we get services to those people? and 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 very quickly, I think one of the one of the real clear answers and pathways out, out of that is uh, peer support, peer support specialists, uh, recovery coaches. You know, Medicaid reimbursing it at higher rates. You know, we we yeah. know that 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 is a very effective tool. Um, is any headway
0: happening in that regard? I think
1: so. In certain okay. states, yes. I mean, I, I I know in Alaska they've got a a, a very good reimbursement rate for recovery coaches. Uh, in Massachusetts, they're starting to do warm handoffs, which is uh, really what should be happening in every hospital in the country. Somebody. Uh, has an overdose? They've got an addiction problem. They go into the ER room. Uh, the ER treats it as a medical condition. If they've, you know, if it's an opioid, um, they get them detoxed through buprenorphine. They put them on the right types of medication, and then they bring in a peer support specialist right there, who then takes that person from the ER room for whatever amount of time they're in there, mm-hmm. um, connects them with public services, or if they have insurance, private services, uh, housing. Helps them find a job, you know, and we're seeing tremendous outcomes with that. So it's it. it, it,
0: So that's proven effective. It is proven. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. there, there, there is there is zero doubt that that this is kind of like the new wave. uh, I think for recovery.
0: Do you think? Do you think that we're falling short big time when it comes to education awareness? Yes. Can you, no doubt. Can you cast a cast some light on that because that's it's a big thing that I'm a part of currently and 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 wanting to be of help in, from a societal standpoint. Mm-hmm. That I've, I, my my belief is that we need to get to young people earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, not you know. I want the message to get out all over the place. Mm-hmm. However, getting to people young is mm-hmm. very important. What is your take on
1: that? Well, I think the the education and awareness gap. Um, exists on several levels, right? So it's it's not just what you're talking about is prevention, right? So like prevention education, that that is one of them. Um, I think recovery uh, education and awareness is another thing. Yes. So I think getting to uh, people younger with more effective messaging uh, that is on a peer level, mm-hmm. um, that isn't kind of this just say no war yeah. on drugs yeah, approach yeah. Right. is really, really important. Um, there is some some great models out there of, of peer. I mean, again, um, peer models where it's, you know, whether it's middle school kids talking to middle school kids or high school kids talking to high school kids, uh, younger people talking to younger people, not necessarily a police officer coming in and showing pictures of, of bodies at the morgue. Like we know, um, that this peer support model works better in terms of prevention. Prevention gets a lot of, to be very clear, prevention gets a lot of money. Uh, prevention has, has always cut a very nice piece out of the budget um, federally and in states. And that's important. Um, but we've got to take that money and look at some new innovations on ways to talk to people. Now, when we, recovery awareness now needs way more. Sure. So, recovery awareness is always lost uh, when it comes to funding, recovery awareness is always lost uh, when it comes to messaging on media. You know, we need to be clear that. Um, Just because somebody gets into treatment does not mean that they're gonna be able to access recovery. A lot of people don't even know what that means right like recovery for me my definition is actually when you leave treatment recovery is that lifelong process afterwards recovery is finding purpose recovery is plugging into community recovery is living in a stable uh safe housing environment whether that be a recovery house or otherwise uh recovery is finding a job recovery is you know it's about about change And we know, you know, Surgeon General, our former Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Murthy, back in 2016, released the first ever Surgeon General's report on addiction, on, on alcohol, drugs and health, called Facing Addiction in America. In that report, you know, stated in black and white, it shows that if we can get someone past year five, Right, Mm -hmm. that they have an 85% chance at sustaining the recovery for the rest of their life. But the system is really only set up to get people 30, 60, 90 days. And there's this huge misconception out there that rehab treatment is going to save you and that it is going to, um, you know, fix you. And while it is for most people, for a lot of people, one of the most critical steps um, to entering recovery, it's not the fix all. And so, we have seen a, a, a lot of awareness start in the last couple of years with policymakers about what recovery really is. And, and, it, and it's up to us to educate our policymakers, our politicians, our governors, our state legislators, uh, because they need us. Um, and, and without us in that discussion, they don't understand. We will get more funding. And just, I know you've got, no, you've got no, a question. No, I've got one more thing I want to say no. on the awareness. It's really important. <laughs> um, when you talk about awareness – it is important for the recovery community people like you and i to raise awareness within ourselves self-awareness community awareness because i think one of the problems today larger problems that i'm identifying is that while we're getting these message to messages to the outside world to the policymakers about what works what the science is what the data is what the pathways are um, different ways that people do this thing there's this internal debacle or kind of family feud, like I like to call it, that can get really nasty within the recovery community about what works and what doesn't work. And you get people in their corners, you know, medication works, medication doesn't work, abstinence is the only way, harm reduction is awful, safe consumption sites kill people. And a lot of this, a lot of this like circular firing squad is coming from within our community and it makes. It, it looks awful and it's like we need to get to a place where we should understand that recovery is person-centered. What works for me may not work for you. Recovery is about quality of a life. Recovery is about finding your purpose it, but we've got to stay alive to get there. We're in 2019. There are so many different options. We're in the midst of a public health crisis. All options should be on the table and it's not up for me. Look, I, I one thing worked for me. Couple things worked for me, uh, and and that's my personal recovery. But it is never uh, up to me to judge your way I, of doing it. I, and I think we see a lot of that within our community, and that is very harmful. I
0: I, I completely agree with you, and uh, it's one of those kind of one of those things. Where it's like, can't a lot of us just get along here? And there, and there's so many different lanes for what recovery looks like for right. for, for people, and so what may just like you said what may work for you may not work you know it's this giant buffet but you know what staying clean staying clean and sober having a sense of purpose a community of, of those about you and making changes it, it, spot on for me too mm-hmm. now One of the, as you're talking, I start going right to, first off, you and I share a lot of similarities uh, with our past.
1: I will say one thing, though, that's interesting to me on that point, uh, on on the pathway stuff. You know, you've got to be very careful when you're absorbing these messages about pathways and what works and what doesn't work and what's good and what's not. Especially when they come from people who have profit motive uh, behind their, their particular pathway. There's some programs that are set up that are like... Purely, 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 purely abstinence-based, which is fine and that's great. Um, And there's programs that are purely medication and then there's some that are between the two. And I've seen for the last two years this huge debate about this works and this doesn't work. Um, But now I'm starting to see some of these centers that didn't offer medication uh, starting to advocate for it because insurance companies are starting to reimburse for it. So now all of a sudden they've become big advocates for getting people on medication. So it's like that's part of the frustration for me too. Is um, you know this? Th- it's a thirty-five billion dollar industry, the treatment industry. So it's it's you know it, it, you got to be careful about where you're receiving these messages from.
0: Thirty-five billion the treatment industry, and yet over a hundred billion for the cost and care for catastrophic mm-hmm. loss for people who. Um, and I've dealt with catastrophic loss. Yep. We call these excess claims, which yep. go above you know yep. into the millions of dollars. Yeah, we've had oh, yeah.
1: about over a trillion dollars. Um, you know, since we we first kind of figured out this was a crisis uh, over the last, you know, seven, eight years, uh, in cost of the economy on, on yeah. eviction. It's Yeah, it,
0: you need a big calculator for it. Big calculator. To figure it out. Yeah. One of the things that was, um, as you were explaining, articulating this stuff so well, and thank you for that. You guys, for those of you listening and watching, go to ryanhampton.org when, when you get a chance, because this guy's got some clips from some of his appearances um, with, these, with these news people, with the media all over the country. Super compelling stuff and in fact, I was watching one. I want to talk about big pharma for a second. I too I was um, prescribed OxyContin in um, before this was this giant Bursting bubble. Mm-hmm. So this would have been in the late 90s and um, and I was hellaciously suffering from that it's stuff just in the beginning in the beginning as well as fentanyl mm-hmm. And and the stuff all and it crippled me and almost killed me. Yeah, you know, You know, I can argue all day long about how, yeah, I got it from my doctor, it was a new drug, and I know now that, uh, you know, Purdue, of course, was stating that this is not addictive. We'll talk about that a little bit, but what what I want to run by you is... With these federal mandates, and I want you to comment on this for sure. The mm-hmm. federal mandates that are coming down, taxing, especially you know, sixty minutes at a great piece on that on the distribution channel for big pharma and how they should be on the hook as you know, delivering millions of pills to a tiny pharmacy in Ohio or West Virginia. Or in yeah. West Virginia? Virginia. Excuse yeah. me. So what is it? I mean, do you think big pharma should be attached in some some way on a taxation level or a revenue level to be able to start reaching out to create places Mm -hmm. like you're talking about Mm -hmm. for harm reduction, Mm -hmm. for wellness, recovery, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. So what type of mandates are being handed down because you're so close to this politically. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what kind of things do you foresee happening on the taxation level as far as money's going out to be of help in this regard? So there's a good, I
1: mean, yeah, the answer is yes, but we've got to be very careful how it's done and it has to be done right. So the first thing that's important to, to understand is that, you know, while um, big pharma needs to be held accountable, I call for you know the, the billions, tens of billions of dollars of rep- in reparations from them. I you know the Sacklers should be spending the rest of their days in federal prison. You know, uh, death penalty might be suitable for one or two of them. Um, but like while while that is important. Uh, we also have a chronic pain community that's out there that is real and it's legitimate. Um, and we should not be, uh, we should understand that just like limiting people's opioids that like legitimately need them um, isn't really necessarily a good idea. Um, you know, there are legacy pain patients out there uh, that all this new policy is starting to hurt. Um, and so we have to be very careful with how this is done uh, because there is a real community out there that, do- that does need um these medications and um and we need to make sure we're not hurting them uh because people are starting to commit suicide and things like that it's very sad um but in terms of like the taxation and, and and how we start to recoup some of this money so that we can get that get it into recovery services social and,
0: responsibility people yeah
1: yeah right corporate social <laughs> csrs right yeah so so how we do that um It really varies state by state. Like This is one thing that we can't just on a federal level take care of, and a lot of these issues have to happen on the state level. So I'll point to Minnesota, uh, which I I was just there two weeks ago. Uh, They have rolled out an opioid um, responsibility stewardship bill, and what it does is it creates a license fee for opioid distributors and manufacturers based on how much they're selling in the state um, that then goes into a stewardship fund that then trickles down to communities to help uh, support treatment, support recovery community uh, community organizations, uh, support harm reduction programs. This particular program in um, in Minnesota could garner anywhere from like, you know, 20, 30 million dollars a year in treatment. Um, should it be more? Absolutely. Should we be pushing for more? Absolutely. Um, but the 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 big pharma these pharma companies uh, you know have a way of sometimes putting that cost back onto the consumer. So it's really kind of tricky to make sure that the the cost is actually going to the pharma company and not trickling down to the consumer.
0: I appreciate that. And you there there was there was a conversation that you had with with a um, with with someone in the newsroom, and I know it was MSNBC. It was one of those big ones. Mm-hmm. What was the situation involving? Some underhanded backdoor thing going about, I don't know if it was dismissing these grieving mothers. It wasn't
1: dismissing. It was a full PR you, campaign. Because yeah. that
0: absolutely, I was unaware of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe it's because I'm so busy in the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Working with families. doing. But I swear to you, when I saw that, I almost just fell out of my chair. Can you can you chime in on that?
1: So it's new information. So I'm not surprised you hadn't heard of it because I hadn't heard of it either until about a week ago. Okay. Um, what happened was there there is a, a massive lawsuit in the state of Massachusetts that the Attorney General Mar Healy filed against Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers uh, as defendants. And and the lawsuit, while the lawsuit has been going on for some time, a judge just uh, I think it was two weeks ago uh, ordered the lawsuit to be unredacted, which means when the on the public files, most of the lawsuit had been blacked out, right? So the public couldn't see it. But a judge said, OK, we're going to lift the veil on this. And we're going to unredact it so the public can see the full thing. And within that lawsuit, it talked about a relationship that Purdue Pharma, a, a business relationship that Purdue Pharma had with a PR consulting firm called McKinsey. McKinsey is one of the largest PR firms in America. And McKinsey was basically hired to help turbocharge, quote unquote, turbocharge sales of Oxycontin into communities. Not only to do that, but like you said, they were hired to counter the emotional messages that were coming from mothers, particularly who had lost their children to overdoses. So the way that they did it is we had all these moms and I deal with families of loss and and mothers and, and it is... It's hard and, and to think that, that this company hired, or this Purdue hired McKinsey uh, to go out and find stories to counter theirs. So what they did in the, 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 the example that was cited in the lawsuit was they went out and they found uh, pain, people who, had, who were on OxyContin, uh, who had benefited from it, people who had chronic pain and whatnot, and they paid these pain advocates uh, to go out and to basically attack these moms and to attack these messages and say that they were, you know, attack uh, them, attack them, and, and 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 that was kind of I, I think the beginning of like what we saw that like the pain community and the and the advocacy community and the parents communities just started to butt heads over that, um, but but it was being paid for and funded the entire time Purdue by Purdue Pharma. They also, which I think rises, and I said this the other day, possibly, because I don't want to get sued, but possibly rises to the level, and this is my opinion, not fact, but possibly rises to the level of like, you know, criminal liability. um, Is they, McKinsey was in charge of putting together a strategy uh, to get around DEA requirements so that they could put more pills into the market. Um, the, the the, the, the Purdue knew like my story, I'm, I'm from South Florida, which was when I was addicted to Oxycontin, when it started for me, I was in the heat of the pill mill crisis. Like mm-hmm. that's where it started Lakeland in area. South Florida, okay. no, uh, Broward County, okay. Palm Beach County, Miami Dade County. Um, a lot of these pill mills, uh, Purdue was in the know, uh, very early on that they were nothing but pill peddlers, basically drug dealers, legal drug dealers that were in, um. Uh, strip malls and had their own pharmacies and whatnot. Purdue had been made aware of this um, and had notes and emails uh, from sales representatives for them that said, hey, I think we should look at this because there's something wrong going on here. No action. Purdue never even sent that to the DEA. They held on to it for two or three years before. They only reported it to the DEA after the fact that the DEA made an inquiry. So, Isn't
0: that a problem?
1: It's a huge problem. I mean, in the fact, you know, what, what what angers me, I mean, so we've always known that Purdue was a culprit, that they fueled the opioid crisis, but not until the last two weeks did we know really to the extent and the sophistication that went into it. And the more that we learn and the more we open the hood and see what went on, it's, it's it, maddening to say the least. But where, where my outrage comes from, is I have seen people that I love, that I care about, people in my community, people that we hear about all the time who are being locked up for crimes and things that are way less. Like don't even scratch the surface of what <laughs> yeah. Purdue has committed. Yeah. And this company and the Sackler family and Richard Sackler are not only not sitting in prison or even charged with
0: anything, they're still able to operate business is, in this country. Is it safe to say, and, and I, I I completely appreciate the way you're articulating all this because it's so well put. It's almost like there is a very careful, very careful design and orchestration. There had to have been places behind closed doors where they are constantly trying to mitigate. How do we get around this? How do we get around that? And don't don't send that out. No, no, no. That's bad for business.
1: I mean, I call it medically sanctioned genocide.
0: I think that's not too far. Sure. It, I mean, the more and more
1: we're learning about it. I mean, I, I, I actually use that term in my book. Um, And we didn't know what we know today i mean we're we're continuously being flooded with new information on this but the more and more we learn is very it rises to a genocide type level i mean we know they knew people were dying they were pushing more pills into the market they knew exactly what was going on they were encouraging sales rep to keep pushing sales up they sackler was never okay with the bottom line that he was getting and while all this was going on the fda knew the fda was complicit Congress was complicit. I mean, th- this, is, yeah. this is this is this is this I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but like the facts are are right in front of us. Um this was a coordinated attack on the American public to get them hooked on this drug. They took a drug and they 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 weaponized it in American medicine cabinets all across this country. And there's no wonder that we're in the midst of a public health crisis. And there's no, uh, there, there's no reasonable explanation and no accounta- for why it No when. accountability. No accountability. But there needs to be accountability. Yes. And the only there will never be a level of accountability that is acceptable enough to make up yeah. for the hundreds of thousands of people that have died. Mm-hmm. As a result of Purdue's action and other pharma uh, manufacturers and and distributors, there never will be tens of billions of dollars minimum, jail time, rest of their lives. I mean, you can't. You you talk to talk to talk to a mom who's lost her kid to this. Like that, that's not going to bring anybody back.
0: You know, wouldn't it be refreshing? And I doubt it's going to happen. But any time that I've seen. A representative Purdue Pharma or an extension of the Sackler family what I see is this extremely it's a very cold version of a person Mm -hmm. I I get very my interpretation is of there is no remorse for what's happened Mm -hmm. at all so much crap being just tucked on hidden over here and just this rhetoric that makes no sense to me
1: so the Sacklers are are, are an interesting breed (laughs) to say the least there's Richard Sackler, who's kind of like the the family patriarch, and then you've got all these daughters and sons um, that really are quick, all over really the quick, place. Really quick, yeah.
0: Ryan, tell people who the, who the Sackler family is. I mean,
1: they're they're the founders and and current you know executives at at Purdue Pharma. Okay, you the know, makers the, of the makers of OxyContin. Okay, and um, you know one of the daughters is 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 uh, like this artist, and and they go out and they spread their money in philanthropy and. Um, they try and what I call whitewash what they've done, um, and and I get letters all the time from Purdue attorneys who say, you know, don't mention this one's name and don't mention this, you know, the daughter's <laughs> name or the son's name because they really weren't involved. It was the one, you know, Raymond who's dead. And you've had correspondence uh, oh, from them. Oh yeah, I get I get letters from from. From family attorneys for the cyclists quite a,
0: often. <laughs> I actually want a commission check for all the freaking pills I bought from them. Yeah, to say
1: the least. And 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 um, they, I. So that's sickening. What's more sickening though is places like the Met. Right In New York City, places like, well, like the funds, Smithsonian. They donate a bunch of
0: money right. to these institutions. National
1: galleries yeah. in, in Europe where they have donated these wings, these art yes. wings. And, yes. and, and, and places like uh, uh, universities where they have you know put all this money into for these courses. And, and they've got their names all over these buildings. And these organizations, nonprofits, and museums and art institutions, we bring them this information. They know what's going on. Uh, we ask them return the money or at least take that money, put it into solutions to the crisis because you do realize that that's blood money. Like people died so that you could have this art wing, right? right. Um, and the answer we get is no. And then we'll say okay, you say no, What? then let's take the name off the building at least. Like, like Have a little bit of dignity there. And the answer is no. Now, if there, I, I not to, to get too extreme here, but if there was some adolf hitler uh wing of the met or of the guggenheim or of the smithsonian people would have a problem with that a, i mean
0: it'd be a little issue it would
1: be a little issue and and i equivocate the the, the sackler family in my opinion
0: again at that level we're, we're getting on a roll here and i like this in fact let's take it a step further with with um the situation with trying to help other people and the taxation that, that's coming on the pipe with these federal mandates, I've often thought, why, why don't they construct, Texas has a lot of spare land, if you didn't know, mm-hmm. a lot of spare land. And I'm talking about a quarter of a million. Or so half does California. Million. Not here in Long Beach. Not in Long Beach. No, but it have to be yeah somewhere yeah. upstate. Yeah. yeah, but how about a place where some of these uh, for 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 Purdue and, and and some of these distribution companies, Ryan, to actually create a gigantic the biggest thing of its kind, and it is nothing but a center for detoxification, life skills, coping skills. People get on the road to recovery mm-hmm. to, to to make changes, and I wouldn't want to call it Purdue's treatment facility, but you know what I mean. Why can't that happen? That would be just a little bit so, of way, a yeah. little way yeah. of helping.
1: So you bring Am up I a, right or am I wrong? Well, I mean, you're you're half and half, and I'll oh, tell I, you. you, you, you know and I'm half and half. I'll tell you. I'll tell you That's why. That's okay. Yeah, they, 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 there should be money. I'll take half and half. There should be money. Um, again, like I said, tens of billions of dollars at the least that should go into things just like that. The problem is, is that Purdue, the manufacturers, the distributors, the people who are who are responsible for this. Uh, it can't be direct. And the reason I say that is because- Why not?
0: Well- Why the hell not?
1: Well, A, because- Build it and they'll come, right? Well, no, there's strings attached at that point. And there's over a 1,000 lawsuits right now, uh, state, county, municipal, federal, um, that are going after these opioid distributor manufacturers. um, And Purdue actually is doing it. Uh, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers Association is doing it. Some of these pharmas are doing it where they're actually taking money Doing exactly what you said, they're they're taking 40000000 dollars, um, and they're giving it to nonprofits, and they're giving it to harm reduction groups, and they're giving it to treatment groups, and then they're going into these courthouses. So let's I'm just going to throw out a hypothetical: Ohio, nothing particular, but this is a hypothetical. In the state of Ohio, it's a big lawsuit right now in the state. Um, XYZ pharma company comes in that's in the process of getting sued, and says, "I want to be part of the solution now." I'm going to give ten million dollars to this uh, harm reduction group in in southern Ohio, um, and help them, you know, uh, do some great work. A year goes by. Uh, the, the The pharma company comes to the court and says, "Judge, you're you you can not um, give me a settlement amount for three billion dollars because look at what we've done already. We've put thirty, we 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 put tens of millions of dollars into the community last year, and we've been able to impact, you know." 100,000 lives with it or 75,000 lives with it, we think you should really only give us a settlement amount of $500,000 or, you know, or five, I'm sorry, uh, $500 million, right? So they're using it as leverage to get lower settlement amounts, okay? Okay. Um, Which is problematic. It's also problematic because pharma always has an agenda. Big pharma Always has an agenda. No matter, I, I've. It's actually there's actually real life
0: examples of this going on right now. Is there a tremendous? I mean, isn't that one of the most backed factions of business in America as far as from a lobbying perspective? Yeah, it's the largest. It is it's right the up biggest. there with like guns and yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So it's got to be awfully tough to awfully tough to make dents, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, but we're making them. I know that you are. Yeah, you know I, pe- people. Pe- there's a lot of there's a lot of outrage uh, across the country. And uh, I, I think, you know, you know, no matter how much money you've got up against you, if you've got uh, enough people, enough organizing, and, and you're loud enough that you can combat that. And I think there's, uh, you know, there's, there's historical precedent to that, too. Um, and and this, is, this is one big
0: issue. Do me a favor. Uh, could you please post up a, a shot of Ryan's book again, uh, American Fix? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Sure. I, I think you're probably pretty versed on that one, considering you—you you had a hand in it, just a little bit, just a little bit, a yeah. little bit. How has how has that book been impacting others?
1: Oh, you'll have to ask people out there. <laughs> I, I I will tell you. Can you can share in a general yeah, way. man. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, I like. I'll tell you what the intent was for writing it. Go for it. Um, I didn't want to just like write a memoir and a book. A, I'm not old enough to write a memoir. <laughs> B, I think there's plenty of, plenty of them out there. But one thing that I think was missing uh, in the market was a book that, you know, incited this feeling of empowerment um, while educating people on, on, on some of the things that were going on out there uh, in the United States, both positively and negatively. Um, and through telling my own story uh, by the person, by the time the person got to the end of the book, Realizing that there was something that they could do too, right? I I, I think that um, there's a lot of great books on this topic that are out there. Um, I've read a lot of them, but it always seemed for me, and again, this is just my opinion, that by the time you ended the book, it was like, okay, now what? Like, what can I do? Like, how can I how can I get involved? Like, what what are some of the, the steps that I can take to end? You know, to, to not just like know the anatomy of this crisis, but like, you know, an agenda moving forward of, of how we can work together to, to solve it. I think a lot of the books out there have been focused on the anatomy versus the solution, mm. right? And so I wanted this to be kind of both um, with some lived experience inside of it. And uh, that was the intent of the book. And I am incredibly grateful and humbled. Um, that since it's released, like the, the biggest feedback that I've gotten from it are from people who have either a gone out and, you know, started, uh, their own nonprofit. Uh, they they, I have one woman who wrote to all members, you know, all, all 100 members of the United States Senate to share her story. People who are becoming more active in the recovery advocacy community, um, folks running for office, like all the things that I was hoping would come out of it, uh, are coming out of it. And it, and it's like, you know, I, I. I didn't write it to become like this international bestseller. I wrote it to be kind of more of like this uh, this uh, guide map uh, for people who wanted to take action.
0: I, I love that. And and you're involved in several nonprofits. And and one of the things I'm, that was super cool to me, is it The Voices Project? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you can you talk to, to the listeners and viewers about The Voices Project? The Voices Project was... Um, <laughs>
1: It was. It started as an idea and kind of as a campaign, a concept about two years ago, and it was just a storytelling platform on social media, just giving people the ability to tell their stories, share their stories, um, make impact. Mm-hmm. Gave people that safe space to 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 recover out loud. Excuse me. And um, my experience. The reason we did it was. I was terrified um, to talk about my addiction journey. I was terrified to talk about my recovery journey. I was terrified to identify someone as in recovery. Uh, I didn't know what my, my community would think of me. I didn't know, you know what would happen. Um, but after, and as the result of, of losing a lot of friends, I um, told my story for the first time in May, 2016. Uh, and I told it very publicly. I did it through an op-ed. And the response was so good, and when I say good, in terms of people calling me, "Hey, I didn't know this about you. Uh, how can I help?" or "I'm in recovery too," or "I'm struggling." And I think anybody who has told their their story on on a, on a public platform has experienced the same thing. But I have after <laughs> after, after you know after telling it, um, I wanted to know how can I get more involved? What else can I do to move the needle forward? Uh, how can I create some more change within my own community? Um, you know, now that people are kind of paying attention, uh, how can I use that to to, 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 to move the, the ball down the court in a positive fashion? And um, it led me on what I call this journey of like, what's next, right? It's like, I always wanted to know what was behind the next door and what was yeah. the next pathway. So the Voices Project was really my attempt to give anybody who wanted to experience that same kind of moment of enlightenment of like wanting to tell their story um, and then I wanted to lead people through that same kind of funnel that I went through, yeah. which is what which is what happened Like people would come there like, okay I'm ready to share my story. I'm like great. I'll share it for you You know, and I wouldn't say anything else I'd yeah. share it and then they they'd be like, oh my gosh, you know a week later They'd call what else can I do? Like how <laughs> else can I get involved? What can I do here at home? You know, and so
0: that's establishing so, community
1: Right, right And so that was the purpose of the voices project and it has since grown into a 501c3 It's a nonprofit now, we do a lot of harm reduction work, we're doing a lot of uh, work with naloxone, uh, some advocacy work in terms of some uh, recovery, uh, pro-recovery related legislation, um you know the 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 pie in the sky dream is to go out there and, and train like a 1, thousand fifteen hundred new advocates in 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 2019 2019 2020 wow. uh you know registering a million new voters people in recovery i mean there's a lot of it, it's turned into a lot of stuff but it started out as a as an effort an initiative uh to lead people down that that same you know road of enlightenment of like what can i do now
0: yeah when i was checking that out i was like super cool that that you know if anyone wants to go and take this a step further and check stuff out is is to go to ryanhampton.org and it's all right in front of you not only their killer news clips but the but all the stuff that we're talking about right here it's all over there and i love hearing about other people's stories and, yeah. and 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 i like when people feel compelled to be like you know i don't mind telling it i'll do it and, and you see them get a little bit nervous sometimes you'll hear that yeah. they'll voice that it is uncomfortable and, and we're both been put in the states of discomfort as a result of putting ourselves out there. Would you agree?
1: I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly but I'll tell you like one of the kind of the frustrating things for me too though in telling the story is I think uh, it's fascinating to see how many people are telling their stories these days and coming, you know, for lack of a better term, coming out of the closet about their recovery, getting public about it, recovering out loud, which is great. It's a huge step forward. But for me, you know, still like the biggest thing we need to combat, which the storytelling helps, is shame and stigma. So like all the policy in the world, all the science, all the money, all that stuff isn't going to matter unless America and policymakers and employers and people who are making decisions see us as equals, Mm -hmm. not less than. And I still, to this day, even though I'm very public, not just about my story, but about like you know where I see policy going, what changes we need to be making, where we should be putting funding, uh, things like the USA Today op-ed, like being very public on recovery-related reforms and initiatives. I still today will get invitations from from big uh, corporate events, sometimes recovery, you know, treatment conferences, stuff like that. Who are like, oh my God, we'd love you to come speak and i'm like great and they're like yeah you've got an hour to talk i'm like fantastic you know put together a presentation and i'll do my whole presentation and you know charts and graphs on 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 where i'd like to see us go with this issue and they'll come back and they'll be like that's like too much like we just want you to just like you know basically play the addict part like we want to really? hear like the, the 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 you know what it was like uh what happened what it's oh, like now okay and i'm okay. like which is, I mean, that, that, that's fine because I, I do that story all the time within so my recovery meetings. There's so much more. But, right. but the, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, we're still seen as kind of like this, this window dressing, you yeah. know, type thing where it's like, you know, pat us on the head. Oh, isn't that great? Like, you made it and you survived. Tell us a little bit of your story. And I think the more and more of us that get out there and ahead of this issue, I think people are realizing, okay, yeah, that's, that's my story. But we actually have something to say. Like, like we, our minds work. Like we're not fools. Like we've lived through this. We have something to say yeah, and we want to outside. take action.
0: Yeah. I have a life outside of this. And I wanted to, I was thinking about this early, earliest morning. I wanted to ask is, have you ever had moments mm-hmm. during this journey of, of doing all this advocacy work, all the stuff you're doing out there that's trying to promote change? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a moment like, why do I keep doing this?
1: Yeah, I had one the other day. And, <laughs> I had one on, on on Wednesday morning. And then when <laughs> all the time, because I've been in
0: that spot too. Yeah. And then something will hit me that that gratifies that, mm-hmm. that, that gives me great levels of gratitude. which like you know what this is why. Mm-hmm. So can can you share a little bit about that? You have moments where it's like it, it can be kind of alone doing the, some of the things. I that, think it's
1: more like fatigue. Okay. for me usually you know i i mean those and but i mean it's not just with this it could be with anything i mean it's like it's one of those kind of recovery principles it's you know get into a place of gratitude usually when i have those moments i'm irritated frustrated mm-hmm. hungry isolated i mean there could be you know and, and we know what to do when that stuff happens so i don't think that 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 i'm experiencing or you're experiencing anything that's outside of the normal human condition it's just that because of our condition um we we take it a step further, you know what I mean, in our heads. To the 10th degree. (laughs) Yeah, to the 10th degree, if not further. So, I mean, like, for me, when that happens, it's like a pause, reflect, uh, you know, take a moment, self-care, maybe take a break. You know, um, it's important to to kind of, like, you know, hit the reset button when stuff like that happens. Because it does happen. It happens often. But, um, you know, and and when you put yourself out there publicly, you've got to, you know, be willing to take some shots and i I mean I, I get fired at all the
0: time in a short short window like a three to five year period mm-hmm. what what would you like to see happen with the stuff that you're doing what type of change in that type of period would you like to see or that you're gonna see mm-hmm. is that that's kind of a loaded question mm-hmm. what's your take on that I'd like to see
1: uh, the recovery community so there's 23 million Americans living in long-term recovery in the United States another 22 million that are, that are out there suffering, uh, most of them in silence. We're looking at about one in three American households if you do the math on that. Uh, I, would, I would like to see a, a place where more people are feeling safe and comfortable and, 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 and open about identifying as being in recovery. And, and I still realize that today that like discrimination is very real, employment disc- discrimination, prejudice, all that stuff, getting your kids taken away, like all that stuff is still very real today. So I would like to see us in five years at a place where that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. where it is safe for people to come out. And it is normalized, normalizing recovery. Uh, I would like to see... Uh, way more money going into recovery support services. I think that recovery um, as its own standalone kind of line item um, in budgets always gets the shaft. <laughs> yeah. You know, we never get the money that we need uh, and, and, and I'd like to see more, more infrastructure, more money to go in to build that recovery infrastructure. Uh, I'd like to see us get more politically engaged, civically engaged, you know, to close that funding gap to get employers to like recognize us as just, you know, equals, um, we have to show up, right? Like we've got to show up, identify, we've got to vote. You know, I think you, you go up on the hill in and, and Congress or you go to your state legislature, or your state, state or city council about, you know, funding or certain issues that relate to treatment, recovery, prevention, harm reduction, whatever. Um, you're gonna get a lot more attention when you show up as a block. Right? You know, like think about the NRA or National Organization for Women or Planned Parenthood or, uh, you know, the Christian Coalition. I mean, you could pick any of those. Um, Those organizations show up with power because they have a lot of people behind them um, who are organized and who are voting and who are making their voices heard. Uh, So I hope we're at a place where more people are making their voices heard and are letting their their leaders, their elected leaders, know um, who they are and what their issues are. And maybe in maybe not five years, maybe ten years down the road, I'd like to see a lot of people in recovery running for office. I think that'd be I great. Love that.
0: I, I love that. I love that. Is there something that's on the horizon? Not to, not even three years away, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Something that's on the horizon that is of super positive mm-hmm. change that is going to happen that you know is happening, or is it all up in the air? All the stuff that you're working on. Sure. You know, could you?
1: I I, I think there a lot. There's a lot of positive stuff. I think for this new Congress that's coming out, uh, You know, we have to wait and see for another month or two, but there's gonna be some new legislation that's gonna come out that's very, very positive. I think in terms of the recovery advocacy movement, it is only getting larger. Um, there's a lot more advocacy training that's going on, as you mentioned, Facebook. Um, there's a lot of great work going on with them in terms of building civic engagement capacity around the issue. I'll have an announcement on that um, in a couple of weeks that uh, anybody can get involved in. Um, and really kind of learn what we do and become active in their communities. Um, there, there's a lot of positive stuff. Um, in terms of like legislative priorities for this year, um, you know, I, I, it, states like Nevada, I mean, they've got some great legislation that's coming out that's starting to combat stigma. Uh, states like my our home state, California, is taking on recovery housing again this year. States like Florida, um, that used to be known as like, you know what did they call it? Like the Florida Shuffle and the Rehab Riviera and all that. Like Florida is really starting to clean its act up yeah. in the last year, and I think people are starting to feel more safe with some well of the too. options. Yeah, yeah, California has a long way to go. We're we're, getting we're behind. Right. We're we're way behind. Floor, Florida got Florida's this. ahead of California. They, they are definitely. Yeah.
0: But what I have seen in the landscape here is that all these bad ones aren't. They're they're going by the wayside.
1: Well, they. I mean, you you you. you it, it was a bubble for them. I mean, yeah. it really was. They they. They made a lot of money very quickly, and, and some of them, a lot of them, uh, not in, in the most ethical and some of them legal ways. Uh, and as, as more of that information's come to light, um, a lot of them have had a hard time sustaining a business model that was built on fraud. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just not a business model. You yeah. know? Yeah.
0: Well, there's a, I mean, you guys can digest all that all you want because it's gonna take a while for everyone to freaking comprehend that because, but you, you laid it out beautifully. And and Ryan, I'm. Uh, it's a blessing to have you on today.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm yeah, glad we. You know, the, it's Saturday. I was in, I was in the polar vortex last week, so it's great <laughs> to be in um, Long Beach, sunny Long Beach. I'm
0: going to take it a good lunch after this. Wonderful. Looking like forward a, to it. It's like a plan, as long
1: as it's on my diet. Well, there you go. <laughs> we're going to
0: stick to that. Ryan Hampton, uh, thank you so much again for for being on the program today. And if you guys want to again take a look at the work he does, go to RyanHampton.org. And give it a look, please, because there's just some wonderful stuff in there. Please go check them out. And I am so, again, so thankful that you took the time today to be with us. I'm going to do a little outro close here. Great. And we're going to get the hell out of this area. Let's do it. What do you think? Sounds good. All right. You guys, thank you for tuning in today to the show and uh, and for hanging out with me and Ryan Hampton. And, again, I want you guys to stay uh, stay in, in touch here with our upcoming events for film screenings. Go to the thelongwaybackfilm.com and please sign up. Follow me on Instagram at Todd Zalkins and Twitter is at Long Way Back Film. Please send in your questions and comments to info at toddzalkins.com. And I don't know if anybody chimed in or shared, but uh, if hopefully they shared the broadcast, you guys get a free poster and a film DVD. The poster is signed by Jim Papa Knoll and Jacob Knoll. We'll be back next week, you guys, on Wednesday with our uh, a guest Brindy Conwell from the Knoll Family Foundation. And we will see you guys on Wednesday. Thank you guys for tuning in. Ryan Hampton, thanks All again. Guys. Man. Have a, a good time. day, Thank everybody.
1: You. Have a great Saturday.